Today we have Marie Smith from Data360 Solutions. Marie, do you care to introduce yourself, tell the people all about you and where are you from? Yeah, so uh, I'm Marie, I'm the Chief Information Officer of Data360. Uh, we're an AI machine learning platform, I guess we'll talk about what all that means. Uh, we're a Google Microsoft partner. I am from Los Angeles and uh, we're headquartered here in Los Angeles. We also have the dual satellite offices in uh, San Francisco and New York. And uh, just excited to be here, excited to talk to you and talk to your audience. Awesome. Welcome. So can you kind of take us back to where it all started for you? What was your childhood like growing up? Were you encouraged to be in STEM? Um, and what were your first formative years? Were like? What were your first formative years like? Uh, was that yes and no, right? Uh, so, yeah, my formative years, my parents were both these sort of like closet nerds. Indians that were like never encouraged to be professionals, right? Just, you know, black people, the hospital, it's not encouraged to be, uh, no one was encouraged to be professional, so they became a top of the teacher eventually. Um, and, uh, but they were always into electronics and video games, and believe it or not, they were like handheld video games in the 70s. And my dad always had some, so a lot of us playing with video games. And then eventually we were like, we were the only kids on the block that had a Atari, and they were the only kids on the block that had a Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> all, the, all the stereo equipment, all the, I had a you know, speaking spell, speaking math, or whatever. Uh, so my parents are really into computers and um, into. So my dad was really computer, my mom also was really computer. So then my mom actually took the programming class and decided she wanted to be a programmer. And um, then she decided she didn't want to be a programmer. <laughs> and my dad gave me the computer because he was like, here, play with this computer equipment and right. program. So I took her books, her little books on basic programming, and I started playing with it and learned how to program. And that was like, that was like the beginning of a whole life. Because every time someone asked, does somebody know how to use these computers? I was like, yeah, I know how to use it. Um, and that started elementary school. I used to run the newspaper. And then I went to middle school. Then I went into high school. Then I went into college. And I always got my dogs because of computers. Always got everything happened to me because of the computers. Pretty much. Oh, wow. Awesome. Like, they, you know, where it's like, okay, you can get this good job, you can get this good money, you can get this good, you know, comfortable lifestyle. Like, I was like, oh, this computer stuff is paying off. <laughs> so, even though nobody had really told me directly that that was going to happen, I didn't really want to be an engineer. Mm -hmm. I was kind of, I was kind of like thinking that that was a, a court, like, you know, a boring life and I was I was sort of like it. I was really into entertainment, so eventually I applied to USC Film School because a friend of mine, a friend of a friend, John Hansen, so I was like, this sounds good. I can just like learn, you know, be around cool people, be around a bunch of weirdos, be around artists, <laughs> have a good time because yeah. everything's so serious. Because I was really serious, but also straight A student, pretty much. I had one B in my whole career. <laughs> oh, that's impressive. 
and uh, I was valedictorian, and I was uh, I, I did um, two degrees, uh, only a associate's degree and two diplomas at the same time. So I was ready to like do something else besides academics. So I was like, can I just do? I was like, I want to go to a good school, but I want to like, and, like where is the fun life? Like I know there are fun careers. Because I was like, I see them on TV all the time. I see all the mm-hmm. time, all the time. So I was like, I think these TV people are having a good time, and <laughs> they seem to be making more money than everybody else. So let me just do that life, right? right. And, and my family was like, Well, you know, you should do that life. You should be like an engineer or a lawyer or a doctor. You be anything. Look what else people can be. And I was like, But what about them? They make more money than all of us. Right. So I was like, I'm bringing in the president. So let me just check that out. And <laughs> if I'm wrong, then then I'm wrong, right? And, <laughs> and then it turned out that like USC is the top school in the world for entertainment. It's like the number one. And so I was like, okay, you guys are tripping. I finally figured out like, okay, what it was was my family had had this history of coming to Los Angeles that I didn't know about. Um, and so I was originally, I was born in Kansas. And so I, you know, my family back in Kansas is like, no, you don't want to be a part of that life, right? But it turned out that like a whole bunch of my family were part of that life. (laughs) (laughs) The other branches, right? Yeah. Well, it turned out, yeah, my uncle was on TV and my aunt had written his songs and all that stuff, you know? And I was all like, oh, okay. Got it. What it is is that like one branch of the family had one philosophy and another branch had another philosophy. And it's sort of, uh, I guess, you know, the, I guess it's the, kind of the, the things that, that were different in the 50s and the 60s between families, right? There was people who were venturing out west and wanted to be the great adventure from the south and from the midwest, and there were people that stayed back behind and knew that it was what you know, they were supposed to have regular lives right <laughs> but so that was i think that was kind of like what was happening during that time and then i was like well black people lost this stuff now so let me just go there mm-hmm. and, so what brought you to la so besides the fun and you wanted to be in with what you were seeing on tv and all of that what what brought you to la i've been coming to la my whole childhood um so when I was born on a, and so I was pretty much like, it was always a, a home to me. It's always mm. been my home, right? And so I was just kind of like, well, it's a, it's a happy medium between me and my parents. My parents will freak out because I'm in, like, I was really talking about moving to New York at first. Um, um, and my, my parents were just not okay with <laughs> that proposition. So. LA was like, kind of like, okay, well, at least you have family here. You have people you can call on. Like, you can talk to all your cousins and your aunties and everybody if something's up or something's right. wrong. So, that was like really why LA became the end of weather, of course. Like, I found out that hurricanes and I was like, four days out. <laughs> yeah, you're not missing anything. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm cool on the hurricanes. And then, the, and then New York, you know, has this hard winter sometimes. And I was like, the weather, the weather sort of steals the deal after they made the family argument. So mm-hmm. I just, I just put on my eggs in one basket and said, "Okay, I'm gonna apply." I applied early and got it early, and that was it. And I was like, spent the rest of my seniors and I'm out of here." <laughs> <laughs> and 
and I was really, really happy because I was like, I'm out of here, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that was so, nice. so how did you then transition from having this film background into being deep into the STEM STEM industries? Yeah, well, the funniest thing is what people don't know is film and TV are very, there are engineering uh, disciplines. I mean, there's so much involved with chemistry and the science of sound and photography and all these different disciplines are super technical. They involve mm-hmm. a lot of math. In a lot of measurements and a lot of tools that require measurements. So there's like really heavy duty construction and architecture. There's heavy duty electrical uh, stuff you have to measure. You know, you have to know what ohms are. People don't know what those are. You have to know how to measure voltage. You have to be able to handle building, you know, mechanics. And I mean, there's so much that goes into it that it's really engineering and STEM heavy. That's like one, one, you know, sort of answer, even before you approach computers. And then on top of that, like computers in, were entering the field at that time. So everything was becoming digitized, sound was becoming digitized, cameras were becoming HD cameras, um, Sony was putting out a bunch of stuff, um, our professor was one of the guys who did THX, so he was a master of digital sound. And it was just this whole like digital revolution they did for the first time they actually created uh, computer animation in film school. And then some of those people went on to make the biggest computer movies of all time. So they made like Benjamin Button and Matrix. Oh wow. Uh, two or three and all those. Yeah. So those are all friends of mine that made those movies. Um, and, and, you know, and then I wound up working in a, in a lab in Fiber lab that was basically uh, 3D scanning, motion capture, animation, and all those different things. We were programming a lot of things. Uh, we did a lot of HD, lots and lots of HD stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, pretty much anything that was cutting edge. We were doing the VR back then, we were doing apps back then. Uh, we were doing uh, all kinds of you know, experimentations with AI, with mosaic computers. Uh, with uh, biometrics being pretty and um, eyeball scanners and all that stuff back in the night. Uh, even 3D computing, holograms, and that stuff is just now, holograms are just now starting to make kind of bloody up against becoming mainstream technology. We saw holograms mm-hmm. technology two days ago, um, but it's sort of almost normal. So I, I just, I was like, fell in love with the future. I was like, that's it. I'm just going to be this like media technology expert, consultant for hire things. And uh, I just I started just talking to people, making it happen. And so we started from project to project, or I would you know contact companies and create my own projects. And I just learned that was possible after working with a lot of corporations. Um, I didn't even know that was a life. Like we didn't even do that. <laughs> and so I was really grateful to learn it. And so I've been kind of living in that life for a long time. Now and then, eventually, uh, and I've, I've helped start a lot of companies and manage a lot of transactions and working over the thousands. What were some of the main lessons you learned in those years where you not only worked within the industry but you worked for yourself, like you said, as this consultant, um, media tech expert? The greatest lessons are you know, just 
like create your life. Like, I love that one. That's a good one. Yep. Don't let people don't passively wait to be found. Learn about everything about how money works and how it functions and what it is and what it isn't. Um, I wish I had I wish I had done that sooner. I had done some of that in my childhood, like I learned about stocks and bonds and all that stuff in my childhood. I didn't see it as relevant because nobody had made it relevant for me. Right. Even though I knew it and I knew all about it. Um, there was some things where I was just like, oh, I don't know. It's not like shopping, but <laughs> you take me to Gap, like that's where I want to go. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't really like need to learn about the stock and Gap, but actually I did, you know. And I think that uh, you know I just didn't have any mentors in that. I knew like you were supposed to take your finances and all that, but I didn't take any financial stuff serious, any of it. And, and, I, and I took it. <laughs> And I took it for granted because I was always able to just make money, mm. right? And, yeah. And then, um, you know, fortunately, you know, I didn't, uh, the things that I ignored, a lot of them were detrimental to people, <laughs> like mutual funds and, you know, all these different uh, retirement plans and whatever, like all that's gone out the window, right? So had I invested in all that stuff, it would have gone out the window anyway, like right about now when I need it. So. So I, you know, I, I realize that everything happens for a reason, right? But I would say, you know, learning about money, learning about the assets of money, uh, and not just, you know, what they tell you on TV, um, and not just what they tell you in the newspapers and magazines. Like, go deep into the experts, like you know, the hedge fund managers and the private equity people and uh, people who run major corporations and people who finance corporations and venture capitalists and all of that, like learn about all those things mm-hmm. because they're all so important. You know, learn about commodities, learn about mining, learn about uh, solar, learn about energy, learn about how does this world work and how does money play into that, right? You know, read the history of the Federal Reserve, you know, read the history of banks, right? Figure out how your bank is found, right? Figure out what those founders are So, you know, because money comes from certain places and certain events and certain type, times in history. And there really is a science to it. There really is a, there is a way to have us on the opportunity at all times. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, study, right? And so now, you know, I happen to bet on an industry that's evergreen. You know, I think what's always interesting is, you know, we're one of the few companies that are tech tech. Like we're not tech enabled, we're not an app about beauty, we're not any of that, right? We are a tech. You're company. deep tech, yeah, exactly. We're deep tech. Like there is and and we haven't found another black company that we feel that, right? And and you know, there's platforms, there's kind of these half waypoints and different things like that. But nobody said, No, we're tech and we're working directly with the tech companies and we're part of the infrastructure and we're black companies. Right. Yeah, that's very rare. Even for non-women of color founded, it's like finding real, and this isn't to obviously downplay the tech-enabled companies, but it's a different ballgame. It's really, really challenging to be a deep, deep tech company, especially if you're building infrastructure as large as you all are. Yeah, that takes a lot of energy, teamwork, and a lot of time. And yeah, most yeah. people are just not not into that. 
Yeah, they're not into they're, yeah, they're not into that. And you know, we're into like changing the infrastructure for the better, like right. enable access to people. I mean, I had to like check this guy on the AI call. It was an AI leaders call. He was talking about nobody has time to teach people about AI. Nobody can learn it but him, right? And I was uh-huh. like, okay. I was like, well, let me just let me just clarify some things. First of all, you may not have time, but other people do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're, we're and we're already way ahead of you. You know, we're already ready to address a few million people of color, a few million community policies, right? We're already there. Um, right, and, right. And, and I was like, Microsoft's already building out curriculum for people in kindergarten. All the way up to 12th grade to learn AI and learn all these different pieces. So like, that's amazing. You know, yeah, I was like, so miss me with the nobody. <laughs> I'm very passionate about that kind of stuff, and and also you know I was even telling the, the one of the heads of the city of Los Angeles, um, you know, you guys are trying to reinvent the wheel. Let's stop it. We've already done this. Right. You know the tech companies. The tech. We've already we've already put out materials. We're continuing to put out materials, and you guys are acting like. You know, I, I think there's a fear that tech companies will replace everything. I think, and, yeah, people are terrified when they hear AI. They're like, oh, my God, the, the robots, everything's going to take over. Um, can you dispel a few myths about that? Because that's all I, a yeah. lot of the headlines about regarding AI, that's all they're ever talking about is. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of this, as usual, right? There's a lot of data that shows to the contrary that the AI creates more jobs and destroys. Mm. That, that, uh, I think it was Indeed or Nick Recruiter, I can't remember which one, actually put out a uh, report about AI and said, well, you know, look, this is actually, this is one of the best things that can happen is opening up the economy. It's not it's just it's just a matter of I think for the first time people are really forced just like with this coronavirus like you're forced to deal with that right because it, it does expand your ability to do things right it expands your ability to do things when you're not able to together expands your ability to do things when you need to look up something expands your ability to do things when you need to build something or whatever I mean just expands your ability there's some things you know it doesn't replace a physical life right it doesn't replace human connection or creativity mm-hmm. exactly. Um, it doesn't replace, you know, affection or intimacy. It doesn't replace when you can build buildings, right? You build physical objects. Um, it doesn't replace any of that stuff. It just enables us to go faster, better, stronger. Um, that sort of thing. You know, it, enables, it, it allows process to be more organized or more customized to people and their natural abilities that are forcing them to be more better or better. And then, you know, really it's just fundamentally a literacy issue, right? It's just people need to become literate and comfortable. Uh, and, you know, but human beings, like, we're always, we're always in a space where, like, we, we learn things because we're forced to. Um, so this coronavirus is about forcing us to do some changes, I think, that we needed to do anyway in society. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, it's forced you know, everybody yeah. to change. Yeah, it's, it's a great change. So, I, you know, I, 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 you know, bless all the people that are losing loved ones. I don't want to insinuate that, that, that that's a good thing, but uh, what I say is, you know, a, a side effect from this, a beautiful side effect from this very tragic uh, disease is that, you know, we're forcing to look at how we live our lives 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. Definitely. Um, and I think I've been reading some memes going around um, about people. Well, this was earlier when it was kind of more intense and everybody was like, oh, my God, I'm going crazy with these people in this house. You know, I <laughs> I can't I can't stand so. And yeah, most people are now being forced to kind of look into their enrich more of their relationships with their family mm -hmm. and build and, and enrich and nurture those relationships more so than we did previously when we had and not to say life is a distraction but we had so many yeah. more distractions before and now yeah. it's like oh yeah there's nowhere to hide like you're seeing everything and like you said it is unfortunate though that people have lost their lives have lost loved ones during this time too so i'm in no way downplaying that but it's definitely brought a lot of good changes um and reality yeah. for us so i was going to yeah. ask you how did you transition um, into entrepreneurship. So what made you do that, do that jump? Um, you know, early on after I worked with the, the lab at AOL Time Warner, um, I just saw a lot of people doing their own thing independently. You know, we actually worked on this weird movie called Undercover Brother. Yes. Uh, I know that movie. And uh, we worked on a lot of different projects with uh, a music video director called Hype Williams, with, uh, which was a video with Janet and uh, Busta Rhymes and all these different people. I was like sort of just meeting these different cool people that were like doing their own thing with their own whatever, right? Scientists and consultants and, you know, movie people, TV people tech people, you know, commercial directors, I mean, everything. And I was just all like, yeah, this independent life, that's what it's about. Yeah. Because you yeah. can just kind of like, you come up with what you love to do. You pitch that to people and then, you know, you keep, you, you do it, uh, do it the way you want to do it. Right. You kind of create your own network of people. You, you have your own posse. Right. And you just sort of like do your thing. And so I was to me, the, just the freedom of being able to create your own life. Now, it took a while before I really got like, OK, this is how to scale that. This is how to build that up faster. This is the kind of relationships you need. This is kind of financial you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, all this sort of captain of industry stuff. I kind of milled about without like knowing how to be a captain of industry for a long time um for for really about 15 i would say it started about 15 years ago so for my career has been 15 30 years so fifth, half of that i didn't know anything about that and then i started to when i when i really started working with twitter and facebook i got a clue about uh you know what really needs to happen yeah for business to grow because i saw them transform from startups to corporations mm -hmm. um, and I was like oh they're doing all this infrastructure so I was like oh they're doing there's some there's some like pieces of infrastructure that they do and that's why they're getting funded to the level they're getting funded and I was exactly. like oh because I was watching them because I was helping them develop I was like one of many you know probably hundreds or thousands of developers but what we were all doing was helping them understand how to monetize a platform and like what it looks like so i was working in advertising before they had paid ads 
and I was like, okay, well, here's what ads can look like from, you know, instead of like the way they look on a web page or on Google, you know, here's some ways ads can work inside of pages. So we prototyped a bunch of pages and we prototyped a bunch of campaigns to kind of show them that. And they used a lot of that stuff <laughs> to this day, right? They used a lot of that stuff. And, the, you know, best practices on ad units and how units should be developed, right? That sort of stuff. And, and so it was, uh, you know, an amazing journey to kind of say, oh, okay, this is how infrastructure is. So when Data360, the opportunity for Data360 came around, I was like, oh, I can't, I was actually in Sacramento lobbying with the ACLU for like uh, social and human and criminal justice rights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because I had some personal experiences that were crazy, you know, racial discrimination stuff. And I was just like, it, it, you know, the people were like seriously threatening my life for being a black woman. Oh my goodness. It was horrible. And, yeah. and I realized like there wasn't a real infrastructure I really got it for the first time, like that there's no infrastructure to help us regardless of our positions in life, a celebrity or tech, any, you know, you can just get attacked. Right. And then that's it. You know, everybody's gone and nobody's there to help you. And you're just a black person in a jail cell or a black person in a courtroom. And that's it. And I had to fight for my life, like fight, fight, fight. Oh my goodness. Um, And luckily, Yeah, it was really horrible. But, you know, the good thing about it was I learned a lot about the law and the infrastructure of the law. So then I I was like, okay, so, you know, learning the law is real important. Um, I knew that before, but I really got hip to it, you know, and, and, you know, in this company, it saved us a whole bunch (laughs) knowing legal things, all the legal stuff. Yeah. Um, It saved us a lot of money and a lot of time. Our, Our third partner, besides my husband and I, is a lawyer. Um, and he was like, I'm with you guys. Cause I see how you guys roll. I love this. <laughs> so it was great. So, so, you know, um, as black and Asian people, we're just, it was, it was really interesting just to be like, okay, look, we can, we can do all this. We can roll with this. And, and I basically learned that, you know, you have to, you have to really focus on, understanding all these different pieces right and how they fit together like that's what makes a great founder is you really go through all these different experiences mm-hmm. and even though they may seem crazy or tragic or weird to other people like it's kind of like slumdog millionaire you can turn those things into an amazing journey you can be creative with it yeah. right so yeah. whatever's happened to you you know it's like it's like you know i remember uh I, I love uh, watching uh, comedians because they take everything they've done that's like so tragic and crazy and they turn it into gold. You know, it's like the stuff that happened. I love the, uh, I was listening to Jerry Seinfeld talk about Richard Pryor and talk about how much he turned, you know, all this really crazy shit into beauty right and, and laughter and all this you know whatever that you know just I love I love listening to those guys I've always been a comedian geek I used to work for a comedian on HBO mm-hmm. um and all my first job interviews were with comedians because I love comedians that much um and so it was it, I love that they can take the most serious crazy tragic things and turn them into amazing 
amounts of money and amazing amounts of laughter and amazing amounts of inspiration. Yeah, definitely. Entertainers just have a knack for that. That's why I always felt like, okay, great. You know, so I, so I, you know, when I was going through my stuff, I was like, okay, I'm just going to like turn this into something extremely meaningful. So that's why I was lobbying in Sacramento. And, and then what I noticed was, oh my God, everybody started talking about, we don't have, we want to make the changes, right? So like all the, all the assembly members and the, and the senators, state senators were like, we want to make these changes uh-huh. that you guys are asking. But we don't have the data. It was a consistent um, complaint they had. We don't have the data. We just don't have the evidence. We don't have the data. And I was like, you don't have the data. And then I was like, I know all about all about data. Right. And I was like, you don't have the data. Right. And then I kept so then I went to the ACLU guys in Los Angeles and I was like, hey, you know, I hear you guys have data issues. You know, I know data backwards and forwards. I know all about it. It, you know, I was I was kind of doing it as a side hustle to make some extra money. Right. Can I help you with something? Let me know. And then magically, I got a call out of nowhere, and they were like, "Yeah, can you help us with this project?" And they're like, "Can you come hang out with? We'll get you a train ticket. We'll make sure you're you know, fed and shit. all that sort of stuff." That's really the beginning of Data 360 projects I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then into you know, we were published in the PBS. Uh, on PBS, New York Times, LA Times, all that for our analysis, which was basically busting California from misspending money and hiding money oh. for, for, for community. It was supposed to be money that was going to community development and um, criminal justice reform, and it did it disappeared. So was it being stolen, being used for other reasons? or? Yeah, so there was a loophole where the sheriffs and the probation departments could take the money instead of using it for the other earmark purposes. And so they did, a lot of them did. So we we analyzed 144 counties, all 144 counties. Um, so we did the data crunching on all of them. And we found out that this is the product. You could see, you know, you could actually, we made a computer dashboard where you could click on it and see if for every county what was happening. And it was Holy it was like smokes. super obvious, right? So that was kind of the beginning of, oh, you guys are, you know, okay, so this is the last hurrah. You guys are not gonna be able to do that no more. Mm. Um, it, it was a big thing with the ACLU, so it was really good. And then we talked to, you know, we worked with other groups, nonprofits and foundations. Um, with data and then it just and then it just became obvious like oh it's a everybody thing it's not just nonprofits and foundations and governments it's everybody like oh data because data drives everything data drives search engines and data drives social media and data drives this and data drives that and there's no solid data practice for anybody even to this day even Microsoft does not have a recommended data practice Google has no recommended data practice Amazon has no recommended data practice Oracle has no recommended data practice. And what do you mean by data practice? Like, can you Meaning, explain that a little like, bit more? Here's the best way to do this for this situation. Mm. So they, but they say, look, we have the tools so you can do stuff with data, but they don't recommend, they don't, they don't, they don't talk about how to drive performance with data. They don't have the expertise for that. They don't have the people that do that. So then we were like, oh, great. This is a big old hole in the market. Yeah. Right. And so we started talking to, when we talked to Google, every time we talked to a Googler, they were like, yep, you're right. 
let's let's like what can we do to help you along yeah. the way google's been very supportive in helping us go through different iterations of service and product development um and then microsoft was we were talking about like so so like it what is you know some of the moves you guys have made don't make any sense <laughs> and they were like well what do you suggest and i was like well here's some infrastructure we've identified here's this here's that here's these uh -huh. and then uh and so the cto of microsoft the global cto second in charge was like yes you're right and so let's let's like let's do that right and so we're talking about you know different models for for how how tech can um give people access right give give their people and and you know what are those different pieces i was like well you guys have pieces of things everywhere so i just started looking at the whole ecosystem of microsoft i was like well this piece that piece this piece that piece that piece this piece that piece it was like rearrange that let's like remodel that and can we do this and every time i was like can we do this and they were like yes <laughs> I was like, well, can I just go around saying I'm with you guys? And they're like, let me just remodel stuff. Like, let yeah. me they're like, yeah, that's cool. I'm like, cool. All right. <laughs> awesome. I'm like, I can create my own destiny here. They're like, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, great. And this is as part of Data 360, right? Yeah. So, you know, pretty much, you know, with our, our customers and then, you know, the city of LA helped us create Data 360 Labs. Um, it's the same thing where it's just a need for like tech training, literacy, tech literacy, data literacy, um, helping people mobilize into new positions. Now it's like mega urgent because of all the un unemployment, right? So mm -hmm. I was talking to the head, um, one of the heads of the city for tech um, and, and letting her know that, you know, we can, we you know, th this can be deployed rapidly. You don't have to like reinvent and stuff let's just do this you know the way it's already been designed and intended i was like you know there's three major companies and one little mighty one <laughs> data 360 making this happen so let's do it right right uh, so you know we'll see we'll see how that's received you know it's sort of happening regardless of what the mayor's office does um but you know we'd love them to be uh in the in the contribution space with us and contributing to that that piece but yeah that you know that's how that's how you know we day 360 really got you know how we really got into it we just started to notice all those different things and when i talked to my co-founder about it he was like i'm with you let's do it and uh, then you know we just went through different projects together and sort of figured out yeah we could work together we can do everything and then mm -hmm. You know, let's make this happen. And then, you know, the same with our third co-founder. He had worked at Intel and Nokia and Verizon, and he knew a lot about data from those companies. Um, and knew Intel was pursuing a lot around AI and all that sort of stuff. So he was really hip to the conversation. So we just, you know, patiently have, you know, bootstrapped our way up to, um, you know, a medium-sized company and into our Series A and and beyond i don't you know i would say i don't even know where we are because because being tied to a company like microsoft and google it's kind of like infinite possibilities just more about you know which way do we want to go so we've been looking you know how do we synergize different things together how do we look at what they're doing what which programs of theirs fit ours and all that stuff so we're we're at the end of that that discussion but uh it's exciting so we'll see what happens when we turn the engine on 
more. Right now we reach a million and a half people a month, which is not shabby. Microsoft has, has about 10 million people they reach a month. Wow, that's amazing. Now, can you give an out from an outsider's perspective? I kind of understand what Data360 does. Like you mentioned earlier, you're filling in this gap in the middle. Can you break that down a little bit more? In what way are you doing that? So I know yeah. you're using AI and data sets. Are you helping? What are you helping with that? It's, it's kind of something yeah. I'd like so, to understand. So, yeah, so we're basically, you know, a low-cost alternative to, like, Google ads and Facebook ads or... That's a great way to put it. Investing in uh, CRM systems like Salesforce or Oracle ERP systems. So basically, the, the basic premise is all of those are centralized systems, meaning that you have to go to their website, you set up an account, and they manage the data and the processes for you. Right. Um, data360 is the next evolution in that we are decentralized, meaning we help you set up your own infrastructure <laughs> so you can manage your own data and achieve the objectives that are customized to you. Because what happens with centralized systems is you're really at the mercy of the media, the happy middle of everybody that company serves. So exactly, yeah. The biggest corporation in the world and the smallest company in the world is going to be a solution that's the middle. Or it's really going to lean towards the person who pays more money. It's not going to really help other people, right? Mm. Um, and so that's kind of a mass media approach or, or a mass systems approach. We're one of the first companies that is saying, no, you don't have to do it that way. How about you set up your own domain, your own system, and we give you all the same tools as those people are. We help you enhance off the shelf tools to integrate right, with G Suite or we integrate with Oracle or integrate with Salesforce to give you additional capabilities that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. Okay, wonderful. I yeah. get it much better now. Yeah, the way you put it, that really helped me understand. Because I was like, yeah, I get the AI, I get yeah. all the other stuff. Yeah, you don't have to make a page on Facebook to get traffic. You can get traffic on your own. Because if you're data literate, you can you know how to harness that traffic on your own. So this does not integrate into social media in any way at all? Or? Yeah, we do. Yeah, I, I was going to say the alternative is also you can also find people and move them from Facebook to your platform, right? So you just encourage them to join your platform. Um, and there are lots of companies that are building community-based softwares that are web-based. We're actually what's called a platform as a service. So we actually sit a layer below that, meaning that you can connect us to any software. You can connect us to any domain name. You can connect us to any text messaging tool or Slack or anything. You can connect us to anything that's yeah. internet capable and we can help you enhance that package so that it's it's working in your favor, meaning that it's bringing the right traffic, it's telling you what your workflow process should be, it's telling you how to uh, enhance the interactions with those the people that you're working with. It's giving you the insights and the data. So you can think of it like a strategic advisor sort of. Mm. Um, that's the AI part. So basically it's like, you know, talk to these people about this subject. This right. is the group of people that you should be selling to. This is the group of people you should be selling to on Wednesday at two o'clock. <laughs> and does this, so I'm, I'm trying to imagine this. Let's say I'm starting from scratch. I don't have, 
I don't have a database at all. Mm -hmm. How would that work in that situation? Well, we would ask you first, you know, what you're selling um, Mm -hmm. or what you're offering, right? Sometimes it's not about sales as much as it's about an offer, right? An opportunity. So, you know, what's your offer? What are you selling? What's your opportunity? And then, you know, what are your goals, right? Are you trying to get, how many people are you trying to get to? How fast are you trying to get to them? And which way do you want to get to them, right? Do you want to get to them on the web, on text message? Do you want to get to them on Facebook or social media? Do you want to get to them on your own apps, right? Are you making your own apps, mobile apps, right? So what what kinds of, you know, uh, code or software are you looking to implement with? If you don't know, we can recommend what's appropriate for the audience that you need to reach. Um, And then we start from there. And then, you know, we also look at, you know, some business mechanics, right? You know, how can how much of that opportunity can you fulfill, right? Because we could give you a thousand contacts or a thousand pre-qualified people or whatever, but if you don't have the capacity to service those people, you know, it's going to go sideways. Definitely. Right. And- so you have to have the right amount of people, the right, op- you know, so we look at all, we actually go through some pretty hardcore business mechanics with our customers to make sure that we understand like what they can and cannot do. Right. So is it like you, that would be a lead list that you provide me um, and then I can get in touch with them based on, let's say your, your recommendations, your system would be able to like generate messages to get in touch with them or the best. Yeah. Approach? So, so our system, so we do, we have a smart CRM system that actually does reach out to people and recruit them and then tell you who is and isn't interested. Mm. and how the best follow up with him that's fascinating i don't think i've ever heard of anything like this before i really haven't like i've heard of you could buy lead lists and stuff but not a whole built-in system that if you don't have it it builds it from scratch for you automates all the the communications (laughs) and that you don't necessarily have to be on social to get these people uh, on your own yeah. And we have what's called, uh, the reason why we're called J360 is because we we can aggregate all the information on a person. Like once that person says, yes, I want to be a part of your community. Um, then from there, you know, we have all the information on that person that we can provide you so you can build a proper relationship with that person. You won't yeah. be spending years trying to figure out, oh, that person likes soccer and that person likes to hang out in this place on Wednesday and, and whatever. We have that information. And, you know, the main thing, you know, we do vet our clients to make sure they're not like creepy or. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever, right. There's a genuine opportunity. So, you know, there is a, there's a legal process we go through to make sure all the good. Right. So there's like a terms of service, there's a privacy policy They're They're putting them in the right systems and all that good stuff. But, Basically, the same stuff Facebook does, right? So Facebook qualifies the you know people that make pages. At least now they do. Um, <laughs> they qualify people that make pages. They qualify whether a business is legitimate or not, and all that sort of stuff. So we go through the same things. It's not as hardcore because everybody off the street can't sign up for Data Three Hundred and Sixty. You have to be vetted. You have to be invited. Right now, we we are going to start opening it up broadly um, through our partners. Um, but we probably won't be with the public. I mean, even for another year or two, we are just offering through Google and Microsoft um, next and probably also maybe Shopify and Facebook. Um, but, you know, pretty much like you can't just go to day360.com and sign up. 
final page, right? So we make sure, you know, we, we're being very careful and diligent and following all the laws and following all the regulations and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that part's pretty gnarly. You know, we do a lot of work around that. Um, but uh, it's it's a powerful tool. Everybody's really excited about it. So, yeah, to me, I'm just, it just struck a lot of interest in me. Um, just hearing about the capabilities and what can be done with all of it. And that's what I was going to ask you. So obviously when you gather all this data from, let's say the customer's side of view, when you're, when you're inviting them, how do you do that? I'm just interested in just like, this is amazing. Yeah. We really just say like, Hey, we're like, Hey, you know, we happen to know, you know, it's funny. We're like, Hey, you know, would you like to check out this, this green living thing? And we happen to know that's a green living person. Oh, gotcha. So they know, they know that we know. (laughs) (laughs) They know that we know that they also know that we (laughs) know. So so do that when we actually do that and we give them 30 days of information in order to Mm. opt in. So there's a gap between when you start and when you can actually talk to people because we want to make sure that that person has definitely said yes, they're in the know, they're clear about what's happening. They, you know, all that before a salesperson or the founder or whoever starts contacting them. Right. Um, and even on the opposite side, like right now during COVID, um, for all of our email clients, um, you know, we've, we've paused all the campaigns because everybody's on shutdown. Um, you know, we don't want any of our clients to solic- you know, aggressively soliciting the public, right, during this time, right? And then, and then they say, well, you know, where did you get my information? Oh, it's Data 360. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, even though it's everywhere, right? It's on the invites and everything. It's not, it's not hidden. But we just don't want our clients to be doing anything illegal or doing things sideways or, you know, trying to encourage people to do business during a shutdown when there's liabilities and other things going on. Uh, So, you know, we also, you know, provide a lot of protection around that as well, you know, making sure that things are there. You know, we have clients that want to be crooked. They just want to be crooked. They want to straight be crooked. And they're like, you're okay with that, right? And I'm just like, no, no, mm, you're not. not here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Facebook, you know, they're like, you know, they'll tell Facebook, hey, you know, this one lady did some crazy stuff on Facebook. And she said, oh, you work for Facebook. You know them, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, well, I want to, I want them to let me back into my account because I did this crazy stuff. But I Oh yeah. They ban people. Like it is yeah. no joke. Mm-hmm. And, and she was like, but I didn't mean it. And I want them to give me my account back. And I'm thinking about going for getting on a plane and flying to <laughs> a park and telling them to give me my account back. And I was like, they're going to call security on you. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to miss words. Nobody's going to meet with you. Mm. And not only that, they're going to call security and they're going to have you arrested. <laughs> so I don't think you should be flying and showing up at their headquarters asking for anything. your account to be unbanned. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I was like, that is not a good idea. <laughs> um, and, you know, we've even been, you know, at meetings at Google or, you know, whatever. And random people will come up and be like, how do I get a job here? They'll just be like at the headquarters because, you know, they have the doors locked, locked. And random people will show up and say, they were like, yeah, so, you know, can I get a job here? And we're like, yeah, it's all online, man. <laughs> and then they're like, no, no, but I need to know, can I go in there and get a job? And we're like, no, you have to go online 
and go through the process that we have formally put in place. <laughs> That's yeah. actually, that doesn't surprise me as much as I thought it would. Cause they do, they have, um, they have a lot of, they have to keep themselves um, from yeah. a lot of people who would just, like you said, walk right in and waste their time. Who knows if these people are really serious and just a lot of like managing, I wouldn't say foolishness, but pretty much that. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of foolishness. I mean, you know, and people just are, you know, there's there's a lot of degrees of everything, especially when they know you have something. Oh yeah, you know, or data or whatever. There's just a lot of foolishness that goes on, and I'm used to that from the entertainment industry. So I'm like, okay, here's the drill. We're gonna make sure all this goes a certain way because you know people are crazy. So we'll make sure everything's good. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, that's a good a good approach to it. There's a, yeah, and there's so, a lot of really great people. But yeah. there's a lot of crazy people too. Oh yeah, definitely. It's always the one percent of crazies who just yeah, yeah. throw take, everything take off. Take over everything for everybody. <laughs> right. And I was that's why I was gonna ask you. So how do you how do you acquire customers as data three sixty? Um and I know right now you said you're only open to you're still testing or doing Yeah, your... I mean we still have a lot of people in our network. So we have mm-hmm. now we have a few million people in our network. Uh there's um we have big databases on, you know, Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, pretty big da- databases. And then we also have, uh, you know, emails and all that sort of stuff. But basically, you know, we hold events, right, whether they're online or in person. Uh, we, you know, work and talk to people in different groups, mm-hmm. right? So online or in person, right? So on all the social media platforms and also uh, through the city of L.A., uh, through Google and Microsoft, right? We, um, I, I uh, get invited to speak at conferences and through different symposiums and things like that. So that are more on the science side or the tech side. So all those things uh, help us acquire a lot of uh, customers and partners and all that sort of stuff. It just we're trying to pare back because it's so many people. Right, so many people are interested. Right. Um, so what are your responsibilities as the, the CIO? What, what does that look like? Yeah. So I'm responsible for the, the systems, uh, and design of, of how the workflow happens every day. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, uh, you know, make sure the staff is informed of, you know, what, what needs to happen as far as like, you know, client groups, um, as far as how orders get serviced, how what systems they go to find information, um, what tech stack we're using for certain things, right? So I'm kind of a hybrid CIO, CTO. Um, I also design all the back office systems, you know, that sort of stuff. And, you know, any, any types of integrations, right? So any protocols, any things about how, how things need to be built. Um, you know, probably in the next year or two, we'll split off the CTO role just to somebody that's just really into the coding development side. But right yeah. now, they're all consolidated around me. Gotcha. Um, and so I was going to ask you, how are you measuring your growth as a CIO? Because I feel most of the time we hear about CEO, COO, and they have specific numbers they look at. What, do you, what numbers are you looking at, especially with your integrated role? Yeah, so um, the CEO and I uh, run neck and neck every day, all day. 
Um, and so what we, you know, what we focus on is, is, you know, how we are right now, we have so much in the top of our funnel. We just did so much marketing last year. We just <laughs> we overdid it. Yeah. I say specifically, I overdid it because I distributed our information everywhere. Wow. And so we just, we grew the top end of our funnel just grew and grew and grew. And so we didn't expect that. I really thought maybe like, you know, if I applied to a hundred opportunities, maybe 10 would accept us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we were in Sweden last year. We were in New York. We were everywhere. I mean, we met with Ikea. We met with Morgan Stanley. We met with Sweet Greens. We met with, I mean, major companies and corporations. On top of that, partnering with Microsoft. That threw us for a whole loop. We had to reorg because of Microsoft. Um, so, I mean, it was a lot of different things. Now, you know, how, what we're measuring is we're just looking at how do we convert all that abundance that's at the top of the funnel into exactly. the funnel, right? And then, like, you know, we we have done a lot of different programs and products and service matrices, kind of, you know, putting those together in such a way that we have the right, you know, project managers assigned to the right companies and the right opportunities. So we, you know, we just really got all of that fleshed out. So we know, you know, these people are for corporations. These people are for government services. These people are for small businesses. Um, These people are for ad agencies, you know, and kind of getting all those things built out. So we're kind of this big HR exercise right now and the right foundational people in um and also and then and then looking at how to strategically roll it out so you know with microsoft we've been we've talked to all these different departments but it's a matter of like how do we strategically debut our relationship with them what does that look like so we think we mutually have a handle on that now after talking to a lot of different departments and different people and you know sort of like who's going to be the lead Right. If they, you know, have seven departments that are relevant to us, which one's going to lead the the transaction, right, moving forward. Um, and so they have an emerging AI department. So we're part of that department. So, it's, you know, that's in what that spans all of their businesses. Units. So it's, it's really interesting because, you know, that's where we're we're focused on. How do we how do we then, you know, debut with them? And then, you know, what does that mean versus there's the sort of top of the phone on one side and then the this Microsoft thing on the other side, right? And then Google and Amazon are sort of taking a back burner. Um, so, you know, com- right now it's just converting, right? Converting to that, you know, into the, you know, hey, you're in this program, you're in that program, you're in that program. Because there's not there's not a lack of wanting to do business, right? There's just a... There needs you have to a be lot of demand, of, yeah. Yeah, a lot of demand. So, you know, how do you, how do you build out that infrastructure, right? And that's yeah. why learning about infrastructure and money and systems and all that stuff becomes really important Mm -hmm. because when you hit this phase, like you don't think about what success means, right? Success means everybody. Then you're like, okay, so what, what am I building out to meet that need? Right. That everybody wants. Okay. Everybody thinks I'm cool. Right. And I, it's like being a musician and not having any concerts on the books. Mm. Right. Everybody wants to go see me in concert, but I don't have any arenas booked. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> so that's that's where, you know, we're looking at, OK, we can convert people this way and that way and this way and that way. Uh, so so that's what we're up to now. It's just really doing all those pieces where we figure out how it all should 
come together from the middle side, right? We have a lot of restaurants and a lot of retailers, even before COVID that had need solutions, very big ones, super huge ones with thousands of locations have already contacted us and asked us, can, can you help us with our data? Amazing. Um, so, you know, that was like, whoa, yeah, okay. So we have to do, so one of them asked for, one of them's a fast food chain and they wanted to, uh, they want a minute by minute prediction of what they should be cooking in the back kitchen. Wow. Right. And, and they have data coming in from Uber Eats and DoorDash and Grubhub. Mm-hmm. And they want to know, what should I do to do that? We have an aerospace company that asked, um, they said they want to, they want to, they had a cyber attack because somebody clicked the wrong thing in an email. Oh no. And did a phishing thing, right? And then how do we detect what happened to the data from that attack? Mm. Which is a whole different ballgame, right? So that's right. So different. So, so they're all you know, custom. We go on the dark web and see if the social security numbers are floating out there somewhere or whatever. Goodness. So each one is unique. And do you have the the capacity to handle all the customizations needed. Yeah. Well, we have an underlying system that we use for everything. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's not like, there's not, tr- it's not like a, it's not consulting. Right. But it's, it's so there's like a, there's always sort of steps depending on which program they're in. Mm, right? right. So if it's an enterprise client, they go through certain steps. If it's a, Day of 360 Labs, and it's a small business, they go through certain steps. If they're right. looking for marketing, they go through certain steps. If they're just doing marketing, they go through certain steps. So that sort of stuff, right? And it's still the underlying, it's still the same price. So like, if you're searching for dark web stuff, it's still a smart search. If you're searching for uh, how many people are looking for burgers, you know, and you're given areas, still a smart search, right? It's still the same, but even though those are two very different problems, it's still a search. There's still a search problem. Right. Right. So we make sure like everything, you know, the search aspects, right, are all grouped together. Or, you know, if it's CRM aspects where they're managing customers, then that goes into our CRM services group. Um, I understand. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And we just uh, we we created the groups in such a way that they are they accommodate a wide range of scenarios. It's an infrastructure that accommodates that in the in the the way that the project the workflow for those services and the way that the projects are managed and everything are uniform. Yeah, that's um, good. That's good. Yeah. So it's not it's not like we have to be like, hmm, what do you want to do? And think it through. Let's come back with a proposal. We do provide proposals, but it's the same template for every company. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. You said earlier, you were joking, obviously, about the concerts and the arenas. I was going to ask you, since you've been deep in the entertainment space, if you were a song genre, what genre would you be? Oh, definitely EDM. EDM? Okay. (laughs) Well, why is that? Because EDM is all over the place, like <laughs> you can have acid EDM, you can have jungle EDM, you can have trip hop, you can have. I like trip hop. I actually listen to trip hop. I do like it. Yeah, I love jungle. I'm I'm like a big Detroit EDM. Or I love Detroit's EDM. Ah, gotcha. Um, drum and bass, you know, all that different thing. Like you could just, you could have a mood. You could have a, you know, chill out mood. You have a Buddha lounge mood. <laughs> yeah. 
I always love that about that music. And it's not so much about like the lyrics as much as it is the vibe. Like, yes, definitely. The beat underneath. Yes. Yes. It's about the vibe. So you could be sailing and be, you know, sipping on crystal, or you could be like, you know, <laughs> in the jungle, or you could be, you know, hanging out with the drums, or you could be, you know, in the club in Britain, or you can be in Spain, or you can be in mm -hmm. South Africa, or whatever. Like the EDM goes everywhere. Yeah, and it, and it, and then you know when um, friends of mine have remixed different things. Like I have a friend of mine that remixed Nina Simone, and I listen to that that tune. I listen to that pretty much like at least maybe like four or five times a month, which for me is a big deal because I don't listen to, I don't have time to listen to a lot of music. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when, if I'm, you know, chilling out or whatever, I'm like, oh, cool. There it is again, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm into Lizzo right now. I've been into Lizzo big time. Yeah, I like Lizzo's beats. They're really, they're really catchy. Like, I'm not so much about the lyrics, but the beat for me, like you said, the vibe is what I really like. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, her music is good. I blame it on Prince because she was hanging out with Prince. So Yeah, she does have that. Like that big video of hers that went viral, that definitely has Prince influence in it. Yeah, I was 100%. like, she definitely was hanging out with Prince. I was yeah. like, that is really funny. I was like, yeah, every time I hear some, most of the songs, I'm like, that's Prince. Mm -hmm. That's funny. Yeah. Definitely. For me, I would be R&B if I were. You would be R&B. I would yeah. be 100%. I've always been into R&B. I love R&B. It just, whether I'm in a good mood or, eh, I still, yeah. I love R&B. So I or would you need to pour your heart out. You need to make it <laughs> yeah, and I'm a very, like, feely, emotional person. So I think yeah. it is, it's definitely a good fit for me. Last time we were speaking, you talked about your daughter and about visibility online and her having to deal with that and you kind of helping her navigate. What is it like being a mom and managing your your career as well? It, it's been tough. I mean, you know, yeah. it, there's still there's still so much. Um, there's so many different sort of feelings about women working still, which I find incredible, but I understand it's still, I guess, relative to to modern society is still new. <laughs> um, it was tough. I mean, you know, it, it, I think the biggest thing has been, you know, my daughter is, you know, actually, you know, all of our daughters, you know, that's the challenges, you know, all the, how they display themselves online, what they're talking about, what they're focusing right. on. Yeah. Right. Like I say, they're kind of all starting to focus in the right direction, which is great. Um, uh, you know, uh, is, is we're constantly kind of monitoring them online, <laughs> saying like, what are they doing? What are they talking about? What are they saying? They know we're stalking them like every day. And then <laughs> my mother-in-law definitely like co-monitors and lets us know what's going on mm -hmm. with the kids and stuff. So it's good. But, um, and, and, uh, my my daughter's grandmother is with her. She's staying at her grandma's house, and so she. I'm always getting the four one one. So you know, it's a team effort. I'm you know, I'm, I'm what I'm thankful for is it took a while, but everybody is doing a lot of teamwork. It's good. There's teamwork yeah. between you know partners, and uh, there's teamwork between grandparents, and you know all the blended family situations. Um, all the parents of the different, you know, we have four grandchildren. So there's all kind of 
there's parents and grand other grandparents from the other side. And right. Yeah. We all took on different duties and jobs and stuff. And of course, there's one super grandma in the mix. She loves being the super grandma. We just let just like here, you can be the super grandma. It's okay. <laughs> Do your thing, super grandma. We're like, you can come over here if you want. And then you know, our daughter's like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. We're like, okay. On my Rochelle's okay. That's good. Mm. <laughs> we're like, let us know what you need. You know, mm-hmm. but she knows we're gonna have a lecture for her. So that's why. That's why I think she goes with the other one. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're gonna have lectures and rules, and you know we're gonna be talking to you about school all the time and yeah, all rules and regulations. Yeah, we're not going easy on you, so I think that's probably part of it too. <laughs> we're not going easy on you. We're gonna make sure everything is cool. And like you said, your parents—you're not supposed to be your children's friends. You're supposed to help your children navigate life and yeah. become their best version. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's a good thing. That's really good. Yeah, we're friendly, but, you know, we're definitely not their friends. Exactly, all. yeah. Yeah, we're not going to be, like, partying up with the kids or nothing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we will make sure that they're they're healthy and they're thriving. They, and, you know, they, they, can, they can take from the lessons that we have learned, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a big deal. You know, sometimes getting your kids to listen to that stuff is a whole other ballgame. Right, especially <laughs> at the teenage, around the teenage. In the 20s, you know. I think mm. 30s, everybody starts to get a grip. I know, I know for me, I really craved my, my parents in their, when I was in my 30s. And my dad had already passed. So I was just oh. like, oh. You know, I have yeah. so many questions now, so many different things. But I did have, you know, chances to, you know, talk to my parents and my grandparents and, and you know, in my 20s. And I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I want to make sure that as my kids enter their 20s and their 30s and, uh, you know, so I really focus on, you know, taking care of myself so that I can be there. Yeah, exactly. Everything and, and my keeping my health there. And I'm glad there's a conversation now in the Black community about health care. Um, yes, not just like physical, but emotional yeah and mental health and I mental feel like health care because yeah. we've been through a lot we've been through oh a lot in the whole the whole African diaspora right and then there's conversations we need to have amongst ourselves mm-hmm. right like yeah. real talk real, real talk, talk conversation yeah seriously and yeah and and the same thing about you know we need to have those conversations about health and money and education and all those different things because there's so much uh disharmony that mm. has been seeded in our communities, I think we're just now getting to the point where it's like, okay, let's talk about this. Oh, so now I'm part of a collective where all we do, we're we're uh, boosting up young people for black wealth, right? To close yeah. black wealth, gap, right? And there's, and there's thousands of black professionals doing that together. Yes, it's a beautiful That's thing. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, so, so having that, and we just saw, we just got our photo shoot and, we did a photo shoot with the guy with the Black Panther that did the Black Panther. So we were all very excited. Yeah. And I was going to ask you what you thought about Black Panther. I, you know, I love Black Panther mm. in that, in that, I mean, I'm always, I'm like a big Stanley person anyway. So. Yes. So, Are you a comic book nerd? Cause I am, I'm, I'm DC though. I'm, I love DC. Marvel's good. Marvel's good, but I love I'm, DC. I, yeah. You know what? I grew up with DC comics. I have mm-hmm. to say in all I wanted to be was Wonder Woman for a good period of my childhood. 
All I wanted to be was Wonder Woman. Very Team Marvel now. I'm still. I love the Wonder Woman movies. I actually love the new ones. The new yeah, ones. Yeah, they're really Marvel. good. Yeah, it was it's good. Really good. And I mm-hmm. love. You know, I, I. I actually I should say that because I love Batman. Yes. And I love Wonder Woman, and I love Superman. So there you mm-hmm. go. <laughs> but, but, and I grew up with them hardcore. I I love all the new Marvel stuff. I you know because it is, uh, and I love Stanley stuff. And I've I've met Stanley once before he passed, which was cool. oh yeah. And uh, what I love about Marvel is, uh, you know, really Black Panther was allowing us to kind of explore the African diaspora and kind of like the diversity of it and like what it's really about and. And also, you know, um, I like how they address the feelings of outsiders versus insiders mm-hmm. and power. And I mean, because all that stuff's real, right? The, yeah. the, the story itself may be fictional, but, but the dynamic is a reality. Is real. Yeah. So, you know, what, what Michael Jordan did, you know, talked about versus, you know, Black Panther and all the, you know, the uncle that left and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, that's real talk, you know, it's real stuff. So I'm just, you know, I, I'm glad it, it brings up the conversation. I'm, I I want more reality to come into it eventually mm-hmm. in life, you know, that, you know, but it's, it's a step in the right direction, right? It's an inch forward. So, you know, I think, uh, I think there's more, you know, from what I'm seeing, you know, with the CJ Walker story and Dolomite and all this stuff, like there's more of our stories being told and how diverse they actually are. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I was excited to see like that, that Dolomite and, and CJ Walker could exist on the same channel mm. where I was like, Oh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. it's like, that's, that's it's unheard that's of. Crazy. Yeah. And I think I found um, it's like Urban Netflix or something. Urban Flixnet. I don't know if I'm I'm butchering the name, but there's yeah. there's a a specific like it has a lot of black and people of color stories. I haven't checked it out yet, but I saw a recent ad about it, and it is it's nice to see representation and our stories being put out there, yeah. and not just not just as like some, oh, we'll just do one and then the rest is going to be the other stuff. But it's like, yeah. this is part of the human experience, a very yeah. real part of it. Yeah. So I will. Yeah. And I love that. And I love too that like everybody's starting to talk about the continent, like in its diversity. Yes. Oh my goodness. Everybody thinks it's like, like it's African not just is like a language. Thing. Right. Like, do you speak African? Like it's a whole continent of different whole, countries. And every country speaks multiple languages. Yes. It's so much deeper. There are layers to it. And it's 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 amazing that people are now waking up to that. Cause yeah, yeah, I've heard people say, like, oh yeah, they're speaking African. It's like that is not a thing. That's not a thing. It's totally, you know, and I was, I was blessed because I had a very white teacher from West Texas who exposed us to South Africa Mm, and, um, and all the different pieces and the different history and, you know, all that stuff to where it wasn't, it was more than once, actually. It was more than once. I, I think there were a few different ones. There was a, oh yeah, there was a, also Things Fall Apart and yeah uh, that's a great book love that book and and so there was a coach I think we did like maybe three or four different African books in this very like majority white high school like Mm. academic high school (laughs) um 
which I was always like, uh, you know, now I really appreciate her so much. Right. You know? exactly. I was like, you really did the damn thing. Like she made sure <laughs> she made sure we knew what was going on around the mm-hmm. world. And she was very hip about that. And, and being in Kansas, that's like unbelievable. Yeah. Like, very. It yeah. It's un- unheard of. Unheard of. Yeah. So, you know, we had, we had very, it was a very special, special opportunity. So I'm always just kind of like, yeah, okay. So now finally that stuff started to come out and all these different aspects and tribes and um, all the, all the different stories. And even this group where we're the thousands of us that are helping boost careers and things like that, that all of our journeys and all of our pathways and people finally asking the questions of like, where did you come from? And like, what happened and how did mm-hmm. That's the first time I've ever seen that in my career happen to a massive amount of Black people, right? Where I, there's actually like a lot of stories and we can breathe a little bit and say, here's my story. Right. right. Yeah. There's still a lot of awful things happening, i.e., you know, like the jogger situation, you know, but it yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, completely ridiculous. Um, and, you know, there's a lot more space that I've seen in the years. And, and I'm really excited by that. And I'm also seeing, you know, groups for women of color forming, all kinds of groups for women, period, all kinds of groups for people of color, Black people having their own funds. And uh, there's really just a lot of, there's a renaissance happening that's very good. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited about it. That's why I'm trying to, I need to like, I'm doing my makeover so I can stay here another hundred years or so. <laughs> <laughs> This is exciting stuff for me. I'm trying, yes. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, redo my DNA and all that, <laughs> <laughs> and preserve your body and all this yeah, like, cryogenic it. stuff. Go, go to space, come back from <laughs> space. I need to do that whole that, I need to go to space thing. Right. I got a, I got stuff on the agenda. I need to do do the Antarctica <laughs> thing, like that sister that went up there when she was seventy five. I need to do that one. Oh my goodness. I didn't hear yeah, about she this one. She's 75. She just passed away, but she went up there when she was 75. Yeah. She learned, she taught herself how to be a trekker at 75. So. Hmm. Amazing. Wow. Incredible. That is. And just to kind of close off our conversation here, what advice would you offer for women in STEM who are entrepreneurial or considering themselves to start the path? What three steps, what the first three steps you should take? Um, constantly like make room in your life to code, learn coding, learn about code, learn about architecture and coding and software. Like just make room, you know, 25% of your time, make room for learning. <laughs> okay. And I was going to say, is this specific to software development or... STEM no, in no, general. just in general. Just okay. keep yourself very literate about the mm. industry, about trends, about coding languages, about what software companies are doing, you know, create news alerts every day, make a list of things you're interested in, keep track of them over time because that's going to pay off. As that's great advice. Developing great your expertise. Advice. That's something I do. I constantly read and collect resources. Yeah. And people go, how do you know that's happened? Or how do you know that's happening? Or how do you get connected to that group? It's because I'm always tracking stuff. Yeah. I'm tracking so many things. And um, the second thing I would say is, you know, meditate and unplug <laughs> on a regular basis. Yeah. I just, I lost my meditation for years. I just got it back during this COVID-19. Oh, that's a good thing that happened. Yeah, it was really yeah. 
Um, yeah, learn to meditate and detach yourself from everything so you can have some perspective and you can be effective. It's really important. I just, I cannot emphasize that enough, especially for Black women, Black people. Please meditate and take care of yourself. Take time out and take care of yourself. And have self-care days and self-care hours and self-care lunchtimes and all of that. Um, and then the third thing I would say is, is to, you know, learn to be an advocate for yourself, to be your own best advocate, to be your number one fan, right? And sort of, I remember once in film school, somebody, one of my instructors asked me, who's my favorite filmmaker? And I said, well, it's me. <laughs> yes. Because if I'm not a fan of myself, then who's going to be? Mm. And I always kind of took that with me because I'm like, you know, <clears throat> if I have, if I'm a fan of myself, right? And I have one other person, we got a club, right? Everybody else can hate me all day. Everybody's going to be mad at me all day. If I have at least one fan or one person on my side, I'm good. Mm, that's a good right and the first one is me I need to be on my own side and then maybe I can get one other person a day if I can just affect one person a day I'm good and really that's the only way you can make it in life is to be your number one fan like if you're on if you're opposing yourself you're never going to get anywhere so I think that I think that's really really good advice no and so many people are opposing themselves you know I was like you know too many people are trying to be the enemy or the oppressor Right. And then they're doing it to themselves. Right. And it's a self-advertising thing that many people are taught. And it's so sad. It is. And it, and you just have to say, look, you have to, you have to be on your side. You have to be on your team at all times. Mm-hmm. You can't be, you can't be, expect people to be on your team if you're not on your own. I love that. I'm a hundred percent agreeing with that. That's so true. You can't yeah. do anything in life <laughs> being your own enemy. You just can't. And I feel like meditation plays a really good part in um, clearing your mind and going within and having those inner conversations. However you meditate, whether it's listening to something or just moments of silence, talking to yourself, I think. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's a a guy who made the four agreements. I think it's Don Jose. Yes. Oh, Don Luis Miguel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Don Luis Miguel. That's right. And and um, he was like one of the things he talks about is the matote, Mm -hmm. which are all the voices, right, of the world, all the voices of your family, all the voices that have been in your life, and that you are not any of those voices. And you have to be able to separate out that that all that negative self talk that people have put your way because they were having a bad day or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. They were having a life change and they wanted to dump their, you know, bad juju on you. Um, you know, you have to learn that that's not you. None of that's you. None of those voices are you. None of those talks are you. They're not you. Exactly. You are something totally different. You're a, you're a child of God. You're an amazing being. Yes. You're a creative wonder. Mm-hmm. And you are not any of those voices. All right. So how can people find you and learn more about Data360? How can they reach out to you? Um, So I'm on Instagram under Marie Data 360 
Mm-hmm. That's one way. That's probably the only personal account I have out there besides LinkedIn. If you want to reach me professionally, LinkedIn is the best way for by far. Okay. And that's under Smart Tech, S M A R T T E C H Marie. Um, and then Data Three Sixty is just Data Three Sixty dot Solutions. But we're also on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn under Data Three Sixty Solutions in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. And um, if if you're interested in services or learning about that, then you just email support at data360.solutions and we'll have somebody get back to you. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Marie. <laughs>